As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, Ed Straw here. As part of our look back at the 2020 Formula One season, I spoke to the race's technical expert, Gary Anderson, to get his verdict on all 10 teams. This was for an episode of the Gary Anderson F1 Show podcast, but we thought listeners of the Race F1 podcast would also enjoy hearing what he had to say. So here's Gary with his thoughts on the 2020 F1 contenders. The 2020 Formula One season is finally done and dusted. It's been a frenetic 17 races. Uh, it's flown by. Great, we even got a season at all. And as always, Gary Anderson has been following it closely. I'm Ed Straw, your host. Joining me is indeed the star of the show, Gary Anderson. And because the season's finished, it's the perfect time to have a look back over the performance trends and run through the teams for for kind of Gary's. It's not just a technical review, but a kind of team and technical review, as Gary has no lack of experience when it comes to analysing his own team's performance and that of others. So just generally, Gary, this has been a a pretty amazing season, hasn't it? Yes, Mercedes won again, so it's the same old story in that regard. But despite the slightly tame ending in Abu Dhabi, it's just kept delivering interesting storylines, hasn't it? It has, yes. I mean, obviously, the the main interesting storyline, I suppose, started way at the beginning of the season whenever we went to the tests in, in Barcelona. And sort of that point in time, we discovered that Ferrari weren't as quick as they thought they were. Um, and I think they thought they were quicker because I think they ran a bit lower fuel during that that test than, than relative to Mercedes or, or Red Bull. But at the end of the day, um, I suppose that was the big shock, was how, how bad they really were. And then on top of that, how bad Sebastian Vettel was relative to, to Charles Leclerc. So it was a double whammy for them, really. It was a bad season. And obviously Vettel suffered the consequences of that But it's been a crazy mixed up season. We've got 17 races in and with a situation with this COVID-19, it has been quite incredible. Um, some of them fantastic races, some of them all right races and some of them a bit boring. But in general, you know, the, the drivers had to rise to the occasion without their, uh, their their supporters or any spectators there. And we all know that that, you know, that lifts people a little bit now and again. Um, but that didn't happen this year. So they were, they were out on a limb having to do it to a, a fairly silent, silent audience, I suppose you might call it. Well, we've got lots to, to get through, so we thought we'd run through each team, but we'll do it in reverse order. So we'll have a quick look at the, the teams at the back. Now, there's quite a nice little way of looking at the three teams at the back, which is Williams, Alfa Romeo and Haas, because they formed quite a, a distinct group. So it's Class C, as we've uh, as we've dubbed it this year. Alfa Romeo was the dominant force in that. Kimi Raikkonen won the virtual championship for want of a, a better word. I think 11 times an alpha was ahead of that pack when it comes to the final race results. So alpha was the strongest in this group. Two Ferrari engine teams there in Hassan Alpha. Obviously Williams recovering but still struggling. So what did you make of that little battle? It's always interesting when you've got such a distinctive group, isn't it? Yeah, it was sort of week in, week out. But I'd have to say that, that probably the combination 
uh, of the Alpha drivers and the combination of the Haas drivers were probably better than the combination of the Williams drivers. You know, we, we all know George Russell can do a fantastic job and, and has done when he got his opportunity in the Mercedes. But I think he was let down a bit by his teammate. And, you know, race points are scored across the team. Performance itself is, is a different thing. Lap time on one lap was a different thing. So I think they lacked any opportunity of, of dragging in any points. This is Williams I'm talking about. Um, mainly because they didn't have two two drivers there to try and sort of pick them pick it up whenever an opportunity might have popped up for them. You know, you'd have to say that Haas and, and Alfa Romeo were reasonably lucky at getting the points they've got. But then, you know, luck luck, luck plays a big part into it. But the the three teams week in week out, if you look at grid position, was you know was nip and tuck. Um, there wasn't much in it. It depended upon the track a little bit and who got their act together a little bit. But as I say, performance wise, it was one of those sort of situations where you know Haas. Haas was the slowest. Um, their average for the season was was two point nine nine eight percent, or as near as down to three percent uh, off the off the pace of the um, of the Mercedes. And Williams were two point eight percent, and Alfa Romeo were two point seven percent. They're the only three teams in the you know over two percent and almost knocking on the door three percent slower. And we, we talk about that like it's a lifetime, and in Formula One it is a lifetime. It's also pretty close. You know, they're not they're, those cars aren't slouches. They're doing a very very good job. Um, but it's all about you know development and. Uh, Getting the whole package to work together, I think Alfa Romeo and 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 uh, Haas both suffered from Ferrari's woes. Um, so if you actually take, actually take that into account, you know they didn't do too bad a job in in sort of bearing the bearing the the, the penalties that Ferrari inflicted upon them. Um, but Williams does have the Mercedes engine, so it doesn't really have any any real sort of escape route using that. Um, so they need to Williams really need to focus on the chassis and get on with it because we know that George Russell steps into the Mercedes does a very good job. The only the only link that's missing there is the the bit that connects the um, the engine to the ground through the through the car through the chassis the aerodynamics mechanical setup you know weights weight distribution all that sort of stuff and Williams have really got to focus on themselves and get that better. Haas is the interesting one here, or perhaps for this reason the least interesting one because that car did not change one iota from preseason testing. They suspended development because they were concerned about budget etc. They did have actually some developments that never got made, that they were quite excited about in terms of how much they could gain, but completely identical. So they're the kind of common point throughout the whole season that you know that's that's the same package they had. The other two did develop. And actually, it does show that understanding what you've got in your car can take you quite a long way because it was only really at the end of the season that they really started to massively struggle. And even in Abu Dhabi, they had a, an adequate turn of pace. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's always this, you'll hear the teams themselves saying, oh, we got these new bits coming along and we never got the best out of them. And it's, it's how many races you put off with that sort of philosophy because, you know, new bits, wind tunnel, CFD or whatever, add up to X amount of downforce. Very seldom can you just fire that onto the car and just get an instant tenth or two tenths of a second out of it. So if you haven't got the budget, you have to, you have to buy into it. You, you know, you have to buy into the fact that you're going to try and understand and exploit the maximum out of the car you've got. And obviously, as the season progressed, um, most teams stopped doing too much development. So I think as that as that happened, every team benefited from understanding the car a little bit better. But uh, for Haas, it was a good decision to make, to be honest, because I think they realised they, they just didn't have the car to the, the car base to put bits onto it, spend lots of money, and go forward. What was the point in it? So save it all up, try and just try and do a better job next year. Start stronger to begin with. And Williams, obviously you said they need to work on the chassis, but they were dreadful last year. There was quite a big step. So they went from being way off the back. They were in a Class C on their own last year, but they were racing now a big step forward. So are you going to let them have a, a, a bit of a break for the, the step they made? Or do you think that because they came from such a low level, that was actually quite easy to achieve? Um, it's never easy to achieve, no, because you know what you have to do is recognise where you went wrong. Nobody, nobody tries to build a bad car. Everybody tries to build a good car. And when you introduce that car at the pre-season tests, at that point in time, that's your product. That's what you've concentrated the winter on. That's what you spent a lot of money on. So you always try to build the best possible. I mean, they went from um, their 2019 average was 4.3% off the pace and ended up 2.8%. So they've you know they basically gained a lot. But as you say, they started from a very low ebb. Um, but it's still not easy to do because you've got to change your philosophy. You've got to change how you're looking at stuff, even to move forward from from where Williams were. You've still got to look at what you're doing and, and how you're achieving it because you put the hours in. You put the hours in as far as CFD is concerned. You put the hours in as far as the wind tunnel is concerned. What you've got to do is, is sort out why you're not getting results out of it. 
and and change that philosophy because you can't just you can't just invent more hours. It only is 24, 24 hours in the day. You can't just invent more of them. So you've got to change how you're looking at stuff and how you're doing stuff. It's not just about working harder. It's about working smarter. And finally, Alfa Romeo in that group, the best of them in terms of, well, all, all performance really, perhaps not that great at getting the best out of it in qualifying, but generally the strongest car on race day. But it's funny, Alfa, isn't it? Because they they kind of made a strong progression a few years ago and then they, they've slid back away from it again it's it's been a a bit of a nothing season for them yeah they've they've spent time being a bit of a roller coaster i suppose you might say up and down and, and there was times you could see them and you thought oh yeah they're they're knocking on the door here now but it, it never really came together and in, in enough consistently enough and I, i'm surprised you know because kimmy's come there with lots of experience and we know that you know nobody likes to drive a car quick other than than kimmy um, you know, he once he gets into the car, he wants to wring its neck. That's that's what he does it for. Just that's that satisfaction, that feeling of just getting the best out of the package you've got. So I'm surprised that they're as far off the pace as they are because he's a very good yardstick, at a driver who loves to drive quick. Um, every, all racing drivers love to drive quick, but he's he's probably the exception. You know, he's no other. There's no other challenge in his life that he enjoys more. So I'm a bit surprised that they're down there where they are because I think they. They definitely aren't in, in as good a shape as they need to be by any means. And to be called Alfa Romeo as a team, you know, there, there is a there, you have to live up to something a bit there. That's a, that's a big old name. Um, okay, they had the Ferrari problems this year and stuff, but even so, you know, whenever you look at Alfa Romeo against Haas, who had the same engine in it, there isn't enough of a margin there to sort of say that Alfa Romeo deserve deserve to get the credit for too much. They just they just never really made it work together. And as I say, I'm surprised at that because I expected more from Kimi. Yeah, and collectively, those three teams scored a grand total of 11 points between them. Eight for Alfa Romeo, three for Haas, none for Williams. All the other seven teams on the grid were getting podiums. So very, very much a, a group at the back. But it made for an interesting little subplot. So let, let's move into the midfield now, which is when it gets much more messy to discuss. I guess perhaps we should start with Alfa Tauri. They were seventh in the Constructors' Championship. They were the seventh fastest on average, and they weren't quite ever fully in that midfield battle in terms of the, the the championship points but race winning team consistent point scorers so even though the championship position isn't great they, they've they've had a decent season haven't they they have had a decent season and, and you know I, one of the things i've criticized them about in the past was their inconsistency um they still carry a bit of that to be honest because you know they, they seem to just one weekend they'll have two cars knocking in the top 10 quite comfortably and you know even better than that um, as far as qualifying is concerned, and, and they race well, but they just don't do it all the time. So that, to me, is is the team. The team's not quite up to speed with how their car, how they need to run their car and get the best out of it every weekend, week in, week out. Um, you know, whenever you look at the guys up the front, and I suppose you really are focusing on Mercedes. You know, they they do get the best out of it, or nearly the best out of it every weekend. And I think to to learn where you are. It's important to be consistent. You'd be far better consistently being 11th and 12th, let's say, on the grid um, and learning about how to get the car to that level than one week being you know, 6th and 7th or something and the next week being 14th and 15th. That's that's the bit that confuses you more than anything. So, again, I will say that that uh, Alpha Tori, they, they need to focus on why that's happening. It's somewhere in the depth of the team it's not really got that good sort of at-the-circuit base to to get the best out of it every weekend. The car itself looks looks fine. Um, I mean, Gasly obviously won on, won on Monza, performs really well. Kvyat seemed to wake himself up a little bit at the end of the season for some reason. I'm not quite sure what happened to him, but maybe getting the, the P45 as, a, as an omen. Um, but it's just one of those sort of situations. You know, you need the drivers to be putting in the results. They're, they're not far apart, the two of them, as far as performance is concerned. Kvyat's, you know, not as consistently quick as, as Gasly. Um, but I think we all thought at a time that Gasly was one of the one of the top end drivers. So it, they've got the tools there to do the job. They do it some of the time. They need to learn how to do it all of the time. Yeah, in Kvyat's case, it seems to be they made some steering changes, which were some slight changes to the the Red Bull supplied power steering system, and a few tiny geometry changes to the front suspension gave him that feel, and that started to unlock his performance. But yeah, overall, still Gasly was was comfortably the more impressive driver but obviously that's the big thing with Alpha Tower, isn't it they use a lot of Red Bull kit we sat down with Jody Eggington the, the the technical director at testing at the start of the season that that feels like a lifetime ago doesn't it when people people are allowed to be in the same room but I guess that's the key for them isn't it lean on the Red Bull parts where they can but to their credit they're pursuing their own aero philosophy as well 
Yeah, that, that's that's the important thing I think for them because the the aero philosophy is a thing that separates them from Red Bull, and I think they've got that pretty well. I mean, we've been going through all year long talking about Red Bull and how nervous it is at times to turn into the corner, and I've talked about the fact that you know I think they use the steering quite dramatically to get the mid corner and uh, mid speed corners and low speed corner grip on the front of the car, which nearly every Formula One car suffers from. Um, I think they use a combination of bits to, to sort of help that or to try to improve that but sometimes it bites them whereas i think the uh, the philosophy of the of the alpha tori is slightly different it's a bit more consistent aerodynamically it's a car that i think is more driver friendly i really would love to see max verstappen having a, a run in the alpha tori to see what he could do it might be slower but i think he longer over a long over a long run and over you know um definitely a tire stint it would probably end up quicker because the car i think would be allow the driver to be able to exert his uh, talent a little bit more. But uh, either way, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. They, they have bits from uh, Red Bull, which is a good solution. Many, many teams have that now, a partnership with another major manufacturer. Um, it's about making the best use of that. And as you were saying about Kvyat with the steering, you know, the steering is one of the things the driver has feedback from. And some drivers just have to have that feedback correctly. I think Albon suffers from the, the feedback of the Red Bull steering. He doesn't get the feeling he, he wants from it. Um, and Max, Max just sort of seems to drive anything, to be honest. When it's right and he can hook it up, he puts the, puts the times in, puts the results in. But Albon is another driver, I think, that needs to have that feeling in the steering. Kvyat's obviously the same. Kimi Räikkönen used to be the same. I remember him, he just couldn't, you know, whenever he first drove with Renault, or was it whatever, whatever it was called then, Lotus, I think it was, um, you know, he just couldn't drive the car because the steering feel was just so different. Um and they, he, you know, I remember him sitting out practice sessions while they changed the steering rack and did different stuff to it. So the setup of the steering is quite critical because of the with the um, active with the hydraulic steering, you know, it assists you to a certain level. But you still through all that, you still need to feel the car and feel when it's got front grip and, and when it's not got front grip, and that's quite tough to do. But a team that did win a race and a team that can be confident of of continuing to build on that. Do you think there's limitations to what a team like that? Can achieve is it always going to be a handy midfielder given it's the beating? They talk about it being more of a, a sister team than a junior team, but it is always going to be the junior team, isn't it? Because it does get the the Red Bull racing hand me downs, etc. Yeah, I think I think you could say it's more of a B team than than any others. Um, you know, I don't think we can we could look here at Racing Point and say is it a B team for Mercedes? I don't think it really is. Racing Point want to stand on their own two feet. They've obviously gone the the Mercedes route with the car this year, but I think that. Um, and again, it's the same with Alfa Romeo and Ferrari or, or Haas and Ferrari. Are they a B team? don't think they really are. I think Haas might be moving that way a little bit more now because of the way their drivers are being lined up through for the Ferrari Young Drivers um, programme. But as far as um, Alfa Tori are concerned, you know, they they can be more of a B team to Red Bull than probably the others because that's they, they've never been hiding from that. They've never been trying to be anything else, to be honest. When James Key was technical director there, he wanted to stand on own two feet because the whole philosophy at that point in time, I think, was that the team would probably get sold on to somebody else at some point in time. And I think he wanted to make sure they were able to do their own stuff if that did happen. Whereas the philosophy, you know, has publicly changed now where they'll all admit that they are working closer with um, with Red Bull. And for that reason, that you know, the the weekend rumour of them being sold off to somebody is not is not around anymore. So I think they're in a good position. They should just make sure they're there with good drivers in the car. Um, and, you know, they will have a quick car. And, and if they have quick drivers, they can get the odd success. Now, the next team we move on to, it's actually a slightly tricky decision which way to go here. But I think we should go for Ferrari because it was six in the championship. But it did interestingly have the fourth fastest car when you look at the averages. But it had these wild performance swings, depending on how power sensitive the circuits were. But a pretty irredeemable season for Ferrari, but dominated by the, these engine technical directors, wasn't it, that came over over the winter that they contributed to through the uh, the, the clandestine agreement with uh, with the FIA? Yes, um, it's one of those sort of situations that we still don't know what that was all about, to be honest, what they were trying to do. Was it, you know, higher fuel flow or what were they trying to do? Who knows? Um, but at the end of the day, they, they suffered dramatically from it. Um, and I don't believe in this philosophy where they, they sort of use their own sort of drag level for their car to, to set the downforce levels and all that sort of stuff that they talk through the season. That, that's not really the way it works. You know, you, you have various sets of data from various different tracks, 
and you look at them all. You don't really look at your data when you're setting your sort of parameters. You look at everybody's data. You look and say, well, you know, what what were Mercedes top? What was Mercedes top speeds like, and their lap times and the section times? Everybody's team you look at, and you'll try to analyze through that and see what the efficiency level would be uh, for a given horsepower for each circuit. And through that, then you'll end up with a set of points on a on a graph that says this is the curve that we need to create of uh, downforce to drag ratio <clears throat> for a given horsepower. If somebody takes, you know, pulls the, the rug out from under your feet and takes away 50, 60, 70 horsepower, then you have got, a, basically you've got a, a wrong set of parameters and you have to regroup. And that's, I think, what they had to do. It, it wasn't the car's fault um, at the end of the day that really caused the grief. It was the power fault, you know, because there's, there's three things, really. There's downforce and you get drag from that and that's an efficiency, aerodynamic efficiency of the car. And then it's how much horsepower you, uh, you've got to drive that alone. And they just, they just lost lost out on the power stake. So as far as the car was concerned, I think the car was was reasonably okay um, most of the time. For some reason, Sebastian Vettel just couldn't couldn't cope with it. And if you look at his season, um, you know, he was 0.7% uh, slower than Charles Leclerc was relatively. So that's one of those the combinations of two drivers in the same team. That's one of the biggest gaps between the two drivers. Now, again, we talk about these numbers like they're a lifetime and in the Formula 1 they really are. So, you know, Sebastian definitely was on a some sort of a, a problem this year, some sort of a, a year off, um, because he, he just never really rose his, rose his game to to try and match uh, Charles Leclerc overall. You know, there was obviously times when he was there, but that was just because uh, Leclerc was having a bad weekend or something. But you need two drivers to do it. You need two drivers to push. Ferrari are pretty confident for next year. They're talking about you know, this engine and all that sort of stuff. We've all heard it before, and wait and see what happens. But you know they have they have been handed the challenge, and uh, now they've got to come up with it. Yeah, it seems to be that rear end that Vettel was particularly struggling with. Leclerc is one of those drivers who can hang on to anything, isn't it? I remember when the car was stronger. I remember his pole lap in Singapore last year when it was hanging the rear end out and really on the edge. Vettel doesn't like that, but it does say there's something fundamentally wrong. I think the most telling thing about what you were talking about as well with the the, the drag levels, et cetera, was the, the really power-sensitive circuits. They were always vulnerable to, to being beaten by Alfa Romeos, and this did happen, which I guess is, is testament to just how badly Ferrari did manage to, to get it wrong overall. Can you see much of a recovery next year? Obviously, there was an engine freeze throughout this year, but there's a new engine spec at the start of next year. So it all depends on that, really, doesn't it? Yeah, if they you know if they can react to the situation that they, they they got themselves into, because you know when you talk about Mercedes, for example, Total Wolf's always on about the fact that they had to push themselves past the extreme to try to compensate for what the what Ferrari had on top of them um, before they found out that Ferrari weren't doing it completely by the book. So that's obviously possible. Now Ferrari Ferrari should be able to do the same. But, but I don't think I don't think they can. I don't think they will because they're Italian for a start. You know, they're just it's just so difficult. You know, you see it all um, happening day in day out with Ferrari. What you know, they just don't have that sort of continuity of leadership of of direction of focus. It just it just not doesn't seem to be there. So something has to happen back at base that's not happening at the racetrack to actually see them being able to get there. Now you were saying about the rear end on the Ferrari. Abu Dhabi is one of the one of the tracks where I spent a lot of time during my when I was doing the TV stuff. Um, turn one, and watching the Red Bull and Vettel there whenever they had the blown blown diffuser, um, it was incredible through that corner S- against Mark Webber, who's a very competent driver. Webber was just unbelievable um, as far as getting the balance of the car, getting into the corner, uh, but he just couldn't get on the throttle again. He just wouldn't get on the throttle again because he didn't have his car set up in a way that he had confidence in the blown exhausts, whereas Vettel, Vettel would come into the corner, and the car was right on the nose. He had to get the power in immediately, and and he did. The minute he got the power in, the rear gripped. And I think that's what he lacks. He lacks that fact that, um, you know, you can't drive the car. If, if whenever you get on the throttle quickly with these cars, the current cars, you know, to get that rear end grip, it's not there now. The exhaust blown diffusers, it was there. So, um Big, big difference in driving style, but the driver's got to adapt to that. A lot of the other ones have. So if he can't do it, then you know he's the one with the problem. Yeah, so I guess with, with Ferrari, we also have to factor in that they, they've they partly been 
been caught out by what they were doing ultimately because the fact that their engine is performing so much worse suggests that the FIA's concerns, they suspected there was something illegal going on, they couldn't prove it, but were not ill-founded, doesn't it? And it, it's actually had a, a double whammy effect because not only has Ferrari lost all this, but that actually pushed on the likes of Mercedes to, to just push incredibly hard and find ever more improvements in their power unit. So it's, yeah, it's 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 been very, I guess for the, the hope is that for the sake of Formula One, that Ferrari can take a big step. But that's a lot to ask, isn't it? Because other manufacturers have had quite a few years to work through this and getting the, the best out of it. But if they've had to regress to then start rebuilding, it's not a foregone conclusion, is it? It definitely is not a foregone conclusion. It's, you know, we talk about chassis being hard to develop and you know finding those the lap time. An engine's exactly the same, it, it, but tenfold, because you've got to do so much you know, running of an engine on a test bench and getting the durability out of it with this three engine rule that we've had this year you know we could see at the end of the season everybody was limping a bit really to be honest so you've got so much to do you've got to get the power out of it you've got to get the efficiency out of it um and you've got to get the, the, the reliability out of it so it's not just a you know one hit warm oh look at this we found 50 horsepower great it blows up every 100 kilometers that's no good so you have to do the whole the whole thing i think that um the thing i'd, I'd sort of say with ferrari is that I fought their corner, I think, um, last year whenever everybody was talking about them, you know, being near, pushing pushing the limits a bit here and there. I do not understand a company that size blatantly building something that's illegal. I could understand them pushing them to the grey area. I think that's what they've obviously done, and that's what they were found out at doing, and that's what was outlawed, because there was no repercussions for it other than the fact that it was outlawed. So they, they know why they've done that. They know why they went that route. And that's a big asset. It's not just to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to put twice the fuel into the, into the engine. You know, the, it wasn't a blatant black and white cheat to get more power. They found a, a simple method or a route around the regulations to give them more power. So by doing that, I think they might have more chance of actually being able to catch up than just having to sort of start again, I suppose you might call it. Um, they weren't very good in 2014 when this all started. They got a lot better for 2015. And, you know, it progressed to the fact that maybe they should have won a world championship or been in, in closer competition for a world championship. They weren't. Um, and, and they got found out. So now they have to show that they have the infrastructure, the people, everything to, to make it work this time. And they've, they've got that opportunity. Now's, now's the time to do it. You won't get a second chance again. Yeah, very, very important winter coming up for Ferrari. Let's move on next to Renault, who were fifth in the Constructors' Championship. They were in the battle for third, although when it came down to it in the Abu Dhabi finale, not quite there. Three podium finishes. So this was a successful season for Renault, but ha- how successful? A qualified success, or do you think they're back on the back on the path to, to getting to the front? They should be back on the path to getting to the front for sure. I mean, you know, seeing Alonso driving his 2005 um Renault around Abu Dhabi was fantastic to see that. And I mean, he was really on it. He was, he was committed, um, watching some of the in-car camera stuff and that. He was definitely giving it some welly. Um, I think he's looking forward to it. For, for Renault, it's been an up and down season. I mean, they, they, they had some good races. You know, they had some races where they were really on, on, on there, really, really working quite well. Whenever they discovered this sort of, seemed to discover this aerodynamic problem they had around the mid-season, they, they progressed. But they never sort of progressed, I don't know what you might call it, consistently, I suppose, the best way of putting it. They needed a little bit more out of it. Now, that third, fourth, and fifth in the championship is, is so close that, you know, any one of them could have taken it because it was, it was sort of one big result that pulled it towards any team, just one big weekend um, as far as points were concerned. But as you say, in, in relative terms, they're what, sixth fastest out of ten teams, um, just a, a little bit ahead of Alpha Tori as far as, actual out-and-out performance is concerned and that's not a good place to be They're, you know they need to be doing better than that Alpha Tori is a very small team relative to the works team that is Renault um, so they shouldn't be knocking on the door with, with Alpha Tori they, should, they shouldn't be behind McLaren who are a customer team of theirs I'm not knocking McLaren here I'm just saying Renault is what's called a works team you know they've got works back and they've got works intentions or opportunities or all that stuff and, and they shouldn't be there so um where they end up in the championship is one thing, but where they end up as far as performance is concerned, they're, they're a bit too slow. They need to get their act together. Maybe Alonso will do that uh, for them, but Danny Ricardo is no slouch, so uh, I wouldn't expect too big of things. 
they did seem to at least get on top of some of the limitations of last year. They went with the the narrow nose design. They were getting better airflow to the front of the to the to the front of the underfloor and the side pods. The barge board area was was starting to work properly. So that does at least show there's there's a fundamental understanding underpinning this improvement. So the idea is that 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 should mean that they're on the right direction. Yeah, they've just got to keep building. Um, I think their I suppose their motivation. Um, at the end of last season, with with uh, they, they they seemed to have a difficult relationship at the end of last season with Danny Ricardo. Um, it didn't seem to be a blending relationship, I suppose. Um, and then you know, moving on to Esteban Ocon coming in, so that's a new driver, and as I say, in the other seat, a, diff- a difficult relationship. So, where do they head with their development? How do they sort of focus on the direction they're going to go in. I think the opposite's happening this year. They've got Ocon now. He's, he's had a season under his belt. He's proven that he's you know not lost anything, really. Um, but they, they believe 100% in uh, Fernando Alonso. So Fernando's coming in, and he'll drive them pretty hard, I would think. Um, so it's it's they've got a different mental philosophy, I think, going in at the end of this season to what they had at the end of last season and what direction they'll take with their development and what they want out of the car, and what they should achieve out of the car. And they've also got a better place to start. So, you know, it's, it's down to them to to make the best out of it and, and um, you know, basically get it all together. At the end of last season, uh, they were 1.9% off the best pace. And at the end of this season, they are 1.5% be- better off. Um, or they're sort of a little bit better off, but they're not, not exceptional for a team like that. You know, I would expect a little bit more, to be honest. Yeah, it was a funny end to the season for them, wasn't it? Because they, they looked like they cracked it and the third was very much on the cards. Then the, the, the back end of the season was a little bit disappointing in, in, in the end. So it, it, at times it's been a little bit feast or famine for them, hasn't it? They've, been, they've had some big weekends, but they've also had some, some weak weekends. And often the low point scores for the likes of McLaren and Racing Point have been external factors, haven't they? As in, not just lack of performance. Whereas then you get to Abu Dhabi, and, it, and they couldn't get into Q3. And although Ricardo came through to seventh, that was a strategic thing as much as anything. So seventh and ninth, interesting when you see a pattern like that, isn't it? Yeah, so it is interesting. I mean, as you say, they, they, everybody suffered reliability problems. Renault had a few of them themselves through the season. So I think they all they all wash out somewhere along the line, you can you can normally say. Um, I think uh, Racing Point, Sergio Perez is probably pretty unlucky when you take the first Abu Dhabi weekend, or the first um, Bahrain weekend. And then Abu Dhabi, they were two big hits right at the end of the season, I think, potentially. Um, but everybody's had a bit of that as the year's gone past. So, as I say, it, it normally washes itself out. But again, like, like Alfa Tori, I think Renault has been a bit too hit and miss. Sometimes they're really up there, sometimes they're not. Not 100% sure they completely know that yet. I thought mid-season when they got on top of their sort of un- aerodynamic understanding and were running the car a little bit lighter and downforce and the car responded better, that they had got their, their head around it um, and could sort of managed to get the setup to, to work with the higher downforce levels but I'm not completely sure yet they've done that so it's going to be a tough winter for everybody because there's there's changes in the regulations that are going to affect the cars uh, differently uh, from team to team and you've got to make sure that you're exploiting that to the best possible solution but also exploiting that so that it's actually addressing some of the characteristics of the car you had this year because it don't just exploit it down the road and end up making your problems bigger, i.e. taking Red Bull. You know, this point in this they have, if, if their if they're changes because of the regulations for next year means the car gets more pointy, they've got a problem. If they can do their changes so that next year the car won't be quite so pointy, then they've, they've benefited. So that's what you've got to do, is make sure you're focusing your, your changes of direction relative to the problems you had this year and, and making sure that you sort of try and blend them out a little bit, I suppose, and get more consistency in their performance. Now we can move on to Racing Point, your old team. You built it with your bare hands uh, back in the Jordan days, you, you could say. Now, Racing Point are interesting because they had the third fastest car on average. They scored the third highest number of points, but they finished fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Now, a very storied team this season. It all starts with that clone of the 2019 Mercedes. So what do you make of this season for, from that? Um, I was just speaking to someone earlier today about that, and I think that to be honest, um, finishing fourth, I think, in the championship was the right thing for them. And the reason for that is that I don't, I don't fully buy into the fact of what they did this year with, with the clone of the Mercedes. For me, that's not, that's not what Formula One is at this point in time. Now, we've been through all that, and, you know, had her say, 
the the courts have sat or the whatever you know they've all they've all made statements about why and how and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think everybody can see that what's there is basically driven by knowledge of the Mercedes in some way or another from pictures, whatever it be. Um, and I think that if they had gone out and and blitzed it uh, and finished third in the championship this year, i.e., because Ferrari weren't you know at the races as such, um, that it would have been wrong for for Formula One on the whole. I think that. You know, the fact they finished fourth, go back a couple of years before they really got any financial problems, they also had a couple of fourth place finishes in the championship. So as a team, they I think they got the best out, they got the result that that team deserves and that by cloning one of your leading competition, it doesn't give you automatic right to, to go in and, and better yourself in the championship. You still have to work at the track, you still have to do everything correctly. And I, so I, I'm pretty happy with the result they got was the right result for the team being fourth in the championship. On the way there, you know, again, they had very good weekends. Um, they had a couple of, you know, pretty big results, which, again, influenced the championship so dramatically. They also had a couple of weekends where they had very bad results. So, again, it all washes itself out, as I said earlier, um, normally over the season. But I think that they'll have learned a lot this year. Um, obviously, there's not many changes for next year. They might benefit a little bit by getting the rear end of the Mercedes, which is something that they they buy. Um, totally acceptable as far as the regulations are concerned. Um, so they might benefit a little bit. So I think there'll be a, a strong team next year, to be honest. Then 2022 is the time that they've got to stand up and be counted again um, as themselves, because that's the time the regulations change. There's nobody, nobody to clone. You're on, you're on your own. You know The lights are on, but you can't see out of the window because it's dark. Um, there's nothing to look at out there. So you just got to get on with the job, and 2022 for me will be the big time for them to stand on their own two feet again. And of course, as you said, the the car cloning controversy that did cost them 15 points. Illegally designed brake ducts was what they were effectively well, that's what they eventually uh, done for, and it's only a seven point gap to to McLaren. But it's interesting because there's lots of factors there. They also didn't have a great reliability rate. They had eight retirements, if you include the did not start for Hulkenberg in the British Grand Prix, and also. Perez was classified 18th in the Bahrain Grand Prix, but that was after he'd had the failure. So that's eight DNFs, which is significant, isn't it? And I guess, although you can point to external factors, no, it's a Mercedes part or whatever, does that always slightly implicate the team, should we say, or can it just be some bad luck? Um, well, you know, we, we talk about luck. There is good luck and there is bad luck, and obviously if it goes wrong for you, it's bad luck, but you've got to react to that and, and do something about it. Um, the, obviously, as I say, we don't know the, the inner detail, um, we had some MG UK failures um, at the end of the season with Mercedes. Some people are pointing the finger to say they're not cooling it well enough. Um, it, it could very simply be the fact that we we done a, done away with these, or they've done away with these um, qualifying modes. So now that you know the teams have to decide, as as Mercedes made you know big statement about it, you know they could run their engine with more power than the race for longer now because you don't have the qualifying modes. That's you know. All you got to do is get out by out by one percent, and it's the MG UK that will suffer because that's the big thing. You know, it's it's you know generating this hundred and twenty kilowatts in two directions. It has to it has to generate it backwards to, to charge the battery pack up, and it has to generate it forward to to drive the uh, to drive the engine. So at the end of the day, you 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 make your you make your bed and you lie in it. You know, you have to now have uh, an engine mode, and that will be more work. It's not, there's nothing else changes. It'll just be more work for the MG UK to do. Um, for longer, so maybe they got that a little bit wrong, and that's what's happened, and it started to overheat them and various little problems. But you've got to, as a team, then identify those things. And if the MG UK was running right on its limit of of uh, performance, let's say, or temperature performance, there's nothing to stop the team from putting a, a cooling duct or doing something to to help that. The team can make those decisions, um, and it, and it, it needed to be a bit, maybe a little bit more alert as a team, um, being racing point to actually do that because that's part of winning. If you can get your car to the checkered flag and somebody else fails, that's part of your job. Um, and that, and that's what they didn't do in those, those occasions you're talking about where they, where they had problems with it. So as a team, they might have been able to do a little bit better. That brings us to McLaren, who finished third in the Constructors' Championship, their best finish since 2012. 
good season for McLaren. They they tried to push on a bit with the car concept. They, they knew there's a lot of things they need to learn aerodynamically. So they made a conscious decision to be quite aggressive with it. It meant the car was sometimes a bit wind sensitive. Perhaps they were a little bit too close to the, to the edge in terms of keeping the airflow attached and everything. But overall, a strong all-round year, wasn't it? It wasn't the third fastest car, but they, they came out with third. Yeah, I mean, strong all-round year for sure. They, uh, they're using a customer Renault engine, and you've got to relate that to, to Renault's performance because that's the only, the only measure, you've, measure you've got. They're moving on to the Mercedes engines for next year. So with all the best will in the world, that should be a step forward for them. It should be a step forward. You know, it's never free, but it should be just be a decent step forward for them without really costing them too much grief as far as the uh, packaging or cooling or aero efficiency is concerned. Because Mercedes, having uh, Racing Point as a team, having Williams as a team, and having themselves as a team, obviously there's a lot of input there as to the philosophy of the of how the thing gets gets operated. Um and McLaren will latch onto the back of that very quickly. Uh, I think the chassis was good this year. Whatever you saw, you know, on TV, the car had a good front end most of the time. Um, it was changed direction well. Traction was good. All, all sorts of stuff. And, and the two drivers they had, you know, Lando Norris and, and Carlos Sainz Jr. You know, you can't complain about either of those two. They pushed each other on. I mean, from over the season, there's point zero three of a percent between the two of them as far as their performance is concerned. So they kept they kept driving each other. And again, the same with the points. You know they kept driving each other. They never, they never gave up. Since I'd say moaned a little bit now and again whenever things weren't going quite right for him. Whereas, um, you know, Norris was was quite good at accepting it. You know, that's that's the way it is sometimes. Um, so it's it's one of those things that you know we say the sky's the limit. But McLaren, they're definitely on the on the the right side of the slope now, going upwards. Um, they've got a nice team structure there. I know James Key very well. He's a good guy. Obviously, Andreas Siddle's doing a great job as far as um, sort of running the team is concerned. Um, they just got to keep focused and keep going because they can do it and they have the drivers. And Danny Ricardo is going to be a good asset for them coming in there as well. You know, they I think they like to be, run as a team now with a little bit of a little bit of fun in the background. Um, and they've accepted where they are. They've accepted that over those years where all the moaning was being done about engines and, and whatever, they've accepted they had big they had big problems as well at that point in time they didn't believe in them i think now they believe what they're seeing in front of them and they're reacting to what they're seeing in front of them and not trying to camouflage it with something else and also they seem to develop quite well through the season they did spend a little bit of time struggling a little bit they brought that new nose first ran it in practice at Mugello, then sochi nurburgring they were struggling a, a little bit to get everything working in the associated parts but the nose worked well and then they seemed to come out the other side of that process on top of the car and with a performance improvement, and then unlock that little bit more qualifying speed in, in Abu Dhabi when it really counted. So I always look for that that progress and the fact that there were steps being made through the season, even when there was one step backwards, it, it was to go two or three steps forward. So that's that's really encouraging, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's what I was saying earlier on with the Haas situation. You know, you, if you change the car, you will change the characteristics of the car. And you've got to learn all about that again and how, how you're trying to get the best out of it. So you can definitely throw away a weekend or two weekends trying to get that sorted out, uh, both in, the, in how you set the car up and in your mind how you drive the car. Um, and we saw that, I think, from them. Um, but every time you do that, you also learn a little bit more where it can take you to. Because you put something on the car, as I say, that's got you know 10 kilograms, 20 kilograms more downforce or something, it's very, very seldom you, you'll just sort of get the return in a lap time. You'll need to sort of understand it and make the car work with it. Um, and as I say, if it changes the characteristics of the car, you need to get some time to spend to work with it. So they've done that. And, and, and doing that, you end up learning about how you apply new parts to the car as well. The work you need to do before it to minimize that loss before you maximize the gain. And so every time you do it, it's a good learning curve. They end up you know, third in the championship this year, which is a great achievement for them. Um, and I think, you know, the, yeah, as I say, they're moving forward and I think we'll keep moving forward, especially this addition of the Mercedes engine for next year. I think that will be a, a nice little package. Don't lose themselves, just make sure they work the winter, go away with a car that qualified well in Abu Dhabi, raced well in Abu Dhabi, bring it out next year um, with the Mercedes engine in the back of it and, yeah, just start the season strong. Now let's move on to the big guns. The top two, Red Bull, second of the championship, second fastest overall, of course, they finished the season with a win in Abu Dhabi. So strong finish to the season means they're going to start the season winning and take the fight to Mercedes. Have you heard that one before? Uh, yeah, I've heard that one before. It's it's difficult to know, you know. I, I don't quite understand why 
they have lost themselves so often for the start of the season. Um, finishing 2019, you know, their average um, their average season, they were 0.65% off um, the ultimate. And end of this season, they're 0.63% off the ultimate. Now, those last races, you know, they're, they're just so important because Red Bull at the end of last season were 0.11% off uh, the ultimate pace for over the last four races. So they were right there last year as well. But yet this season they started, you know, so far away, to be honest, you know, um, that they let Mercedes get away from them. You know, with Mercedes, with Mercedes the problem is if you blink, they're 50 points ahead of you. And, and then you're playing catch-up. And what you have to do with them, I think, is just to, like Red Bull were able to do in Abu Dhabi, put the pressure on them a little bit. Anytime we've seen Mercedes with that little bit of pressure on them, um, you know, it's turned out a situation where they they don't take pressure that well. They're, they're a leading team up front, go out there, qualify and pull, bang, bish bash, first and second, and, and that's it done. But just have somebody nipping at the heels a little bit. It's a whole new dynamic for a team to, to sort of cope with. Um, you can't just know you've got enough time between you and the guy that's your competitor for a you know, an extra pit stop. You just have to make, sh- make sure you're there all the time and uh, and biting at their heels. So if they trip up, you're there and scoring big points. And Red Bull have to start the season next year like that. They can't let it get, let them get away again because it's it's just it just happens too often now. So what do we think went wrong with the car? We know they went quite aggressive with it. Slightly changed the the front end concept, the the, the Mercedes style kind of under nose area, etc. So they they were clearly pushing to try and find it. They they had a bit of a high speed corner limitation early on. They managed to balance everything up, but I think they gave away a little bit of what they gained in in other corners doing that. So there's a, there is a limitation in there that they they are hoping to engineer out for next year. So I guess that's the question: Did they have the right idea, but just made a, a little error that held it back all year, and they could unlock next year? It's it's, it's one of those sort of situations. I think that. Their philosophy is a bit different. Mercedes run a philosophy of the car where they, they obviously they want the car to work well, but they make it as driver friendly as possible because they know that the driver, you know, you don't want to make mistakes. If you can, if you can eliminate those mistakes from the driver by making the car a driver friendly package, you'll end up with a better package, and you'll allow the driver to exploit its maximum performance out of it. I think Red Bull, within the company, within the company itself wanted to fix the driver's problems. Um, and, uh, you know, they run the, the high rake. That means the front wing is closer to the ground in low-speed corners. That means it's working harder in low-speed corners. So that's to get rid of the understeer that, that normally these cars have at lower speed. Um, every driver on the racetrack wants a car that's fairly neutral to a touch of understeer and fast corners. And if you have a, a normal Formula 1 car set up to give you that neutral to have just a tiny, tiny touch of understeer in the fast corners... Um, you'll have a car that understeers in, in low and medium speed corners. So then you're trying to fix that solution. And Red Bull have gone gone about it in many, many ways within their car. They've got, you know, the ride height, the steering lock changes dramatically. The front of the car lowers. Um, the rake on the car is more, so the front wing's working harder. And I believe their philosophy of the front wing means that with, when, they, um, when they're steering the car, the more steering lock you put onto it, the more front end you get. Because if you have understeer, you'll put more steering lock on the car. And the combination of all those is too much sometimes in some corners because if you have a car that understeers and you apply more steering lock on it, um, you end up with the fact that the front end gets gets stronger and then it gets pointy, so the rear gives up. Um, I think they, 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 they need to look at a philosophy of a more all-round vehicle. Um, and again, I'll go back to Alpha, Alpha Tori and say, I think that's one of the biggest differences between the two is the fact that the Alpha Tori is... A more consistent car, probably got a lot less downforce, but a more consistent car. I think Mercedes is a more consistent car, but it's got as much downforce. And that's the difference, really. Um, Red Bull should be able to exploit a consistent car with the downforce of a Mercedes. And that's what they've got to sort of work on. As I say, with these changes for next year, these regulation changes, they need to make sure they're not making their problem bigger and they're making it a little bit better, if anything. Um, Because they finished the season quite strongly. You know, okay, Alex Albon wasn't set setting the world alight. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Max won the race, was on pole, won the race easily. Mercedes might have been limping because of their engine problems. That may have been, but on a given day, a competition is the other 19 cars that's out there. That's that's what it's all about, beating them. 
So in Abu Dhabi, they did that. Did Max Verstappen flatter the car, do you think? I think it's very, very difficult for a driver to flatter the car. You have to have the tools underneath you that suit your your driving skills. You, you know, the days of picking a car up by the scruff of the neck and, and, and doing a lap time in it that the car can't do um, is long gone, I believe. You know, you can't... You, Opposition. The opposition is your teammate. You've got to be quicker than your teammate. Max Verstappen is a lot faster than his current teammate, and a my thing from the from the season is 0.78 of a percent. One of the biggest differences between two teammates over the season. Um, lots of reasons, lots of excuses for all of that sort of stuff. The car suits Max. The car doesn't suit um, Alex Albon. So be it. That's the way it is. Max drives the car that he can drive. Um, his driving talent or his adaptability to driving that car is very, very good. But he's, he's just a human being. You know, he cannot just pick up a scruffy car. He wouldn't get in a, in a he wouldn't get in a Williams and, and outdrive, you know, George Russell, for example. Um, he would be there with him. He's one of the good guys, Max. And so was Lewis Hamilton and, you know, so was Valtteri Bottas and so was lots and lots of drivers. They're all good guys. You just have to apply that to the car you're driving, your talent to the car you're driving. If the two happen to match up, that's what it will be. And that's that's why Red Bull have gone the route they are, because Max has been leading the team for quite a few years now. He's been le- leading the direction he wants out of it. Maybe they went over the top a little bit here and there this year with some stuff, but they've been able to back it down again and, and, and get there. They're, again, they finished the season strongly, so you have to sort of give it to them and say, okay, what, the last four rounds here? Yeah. They're uh, 0.14% off the ultimate, and Mercedes are 0.16. So, again, like last year, they've finished the season strongly. they just got to somehow maintain that into the start of next season. Which brings us on to Mercedes, the W11. 13 wins, 7th consecutive drivers and Constructors' Championship double. Now, what was interesting is right at the start of the season, you can remember them talking about that they've been quite aggressive with some of the things they put on the car. The rear suspension design was quite innovative. The DAS system that soon emerged in testing was was quite significant. They'd really pushed the limit with this package, haven't they? Trying to make the, the, the power unit capable of running at slightly higher temperatures to ease the cooling, sculpting the car ever more tightly. They absolutely pulled out all the stops, and, and it just worked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And and whenever you read through some of the, the, the interviews that's been done with some, you know, with um, designers and whatever – you can see all the reasons for it. The reasons are, 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 are logical stuff. You know, last year they didn't think the car, Lewis didn't think the car was responsive enough on the front end. Um, so, they, you know, they get the uh, uh, the DAS system up and running to try to get the front tyre working better, quicker. And obviously, it, I don't know if it works or not, but they believe in it. Um, and it should do something to the front tyre temperatures on the, on the warm-up laps. And then because of that, you want to get more stability in the rear of the car. So you have to get more consistent airflow. So they, they put this modified rear suspension or this rear suspension on it, which moves the bottom wishbone legs rearwards. So uh, it decreases the blockage between the inside of the rear tire and the gearbox side. They also squeeze the, the bodywork a little bit so you get more flow through there. And all of that stuff has a logical thing. We've got the dash to help front tire work harder, but if we do that, maybe the rear is going to get nervous. So we need to get more airflow through there so it's more consistent whenever we uh, the rear end's more stable when we're turning into the corner. So it's like a chicken and egg. You just you're just going along all the time, feeding at that little bit, one end then the other end, then one end then the other end. I mean, they've they've got one of the longest wheelbase cars um, in the pit lane, I, th- I still think. Um, but they've they've lived with that because it gives them a bigger floor area, and the bigger floor area, if you've got low pressure underneath it, the bigger the area, the more downforce you'll get. Um, they've run the car flat. They've never gone into this philosophy of the high rate rear end, again from the fact that it's more consistent, and you can have peaky downforce. Uh, on these cars so easily you can have lots and lots of peaky downforce but it'll just bite the driver once once you get bitten by that then you you're you know stand back from it a little bit you don't just you know just commit to the corner the way you would do normally if you have a car that's maybe that fraction down and downforce but it's consistent you know what it's going to do then you, you know the driver will find that tenth of a second do you see any real weakness there? Is there any reason to expect anything different next season because they just seem so sure-footed I know it's easy to be that way when you're the dominant force you can be assured but it does seem like just every time the opposition comes at them with something Mercedes just sort of reaches a little bit deeper and pulls out a load more performance they can put on the car yeah I, I don't see any real weakness there but obviously this these all this chat and stuff about Lewis's contract and uh, and total wolf staying with the team and wanting to take a more 
over overview of the team and all that sort of stuff. Those those are all disruptions because every time you change something, you end up with everything stands still for a little minute or two while everybody gets their feet under the table for their new position. Um, and obviously, obviously, that with with Lewis having the, the coronavirus and George Russell stepping in, that's that sort of with a little bit of an implosion within themselves. You know, they they probably we saw how good George was in the car um, and bought us. Now got a sort of secondary question mark over him, I suppose you might call it. All that sort of stuff niggles a little bit. Very lucky, I think, that that was the end of the season when that all happened, as opposed to mid-season, because I think it could have been bigger, a bigger implosion. Um, but at the end of the day, they've, they've got to make the right decisions. I think the right decisions is, is sign Lewis Hamilton up for another year at least. Sign Valtteri Bottas has a contract for next year. Just keep him because the, it all works. Why, why change it? And there's no reason why Total Wolf couldn't stay on for another year. If that all happens, then I think they can uh, carry through what they've got, which is a very good understanding of how the car works at the moment. What happened to them in Abu Dhabi? I mean, we're all putting it down to the fact they had to down-tune the engine a little bit because of this MGUK um, problem that was fairly widespread within the Mercedes engines. Um, but maybe that's only a tenth or you know, a couple of tenths at the most. But it does show that there, there's vulnerability in there somewhere that it affects if that was because they ran too high a par on average for, since the, uh, what was it, the Emily Grand Prix, um, I think it was whenever the qualifying mode ban came in, um, maybe they just run them a little bit too hard and they just need to back it off a little bit. But that's all good stuff for, for making the competition better if they have to back it off by a tenth of a second. Um, and, and Honda don't have to, for example. So they just need to make sure they keep their feet in the ground. Seven World Championships have shown that they're very capable of doing that. They'd never come out at the beginning of the season in a bad position. They might have not come out as good as they want it to be, but they've never come out in a bad position. So they do their homework and their understanding over the winter very, very well. And I would expect it to happen again, especially next year when the regulations aren't really changing. The year after is going to be a big challenge for everybody. Well, I guess as a final point, we should just take a slight look ahead to next year in terms of those changes. There's four little rule tweaks designed to stop the downforce growing. So they've, they've cut back the floor, the little exclusion zone around the wheels, the longitudinal slots in the floor have gone slight restriction to the, uh, the the dividing veins in the diffuser and they've restricted the the winglets on the lower part of the the brake duct assembly not massive but enough to to just destabilize things and create a few problems for for different teams to solve some better some worse could it shake up the order or is that asking a bit too much um i think it's asking a bit too much they are all fairly subtle changes however they are all in the one the one area at the back of the car which is you know it is going to affect the car stability on, on corner entry um, because all of that stuff that's there will will affect how powerful the diffuser is. And the power of the diffuser is what gives you that that good corner entry whenever the right rear ride height is changing dramatically because you've been on the brake pedal. Because when you hit the brake pedal in these cars, you know, the car moves. It, the front of the car lowers itself a bit just from the weight transfer, even if it's just the tyres, and the rear of the car rises up. Most of these philosophies of suspension now tries to keep the rear of the car down for longer um, but whenever you've got the change, you know, you've you've hit the car with 150 kilograms of rear rear downforce by closing the DRS. So the rear of the car wants to sink that little bit. And if you can sort of time that so that it's working, it's working correctly with the fact the car wants to get up in the air by about the loss of the same amount of downforce, then you've got a decent package. But these changes on the floor will all affect how the downforce works. And the changes on the rear brake ducts, they're bigger than what you think they're going to be. Because the one thing about the those turning vanes on the on the brake ducts is they produce downforce directly onto the tire contact patch. Um, so there's no, there's no lag in it. There's no suspension movement waiting for the for the forces to to alter their direction. There's straight straightforward downforce onto the contact patch. The rest of the car can move around a bit, and when it's on its way up, you know it's it's not creating downforce. When it's its way on its way down, it can be. So you just have to packs that all in so i think these changes could have a bigger consequence than what we think even though they are fairly subtle yeah and with just three days pre-season testing teams are going to be up against it to get on top of it well thanks very much gary for your insight into the the 10 teams covered lots of ground in that one extremely uh interesting and thanks very much for your insight over the whole season in fact it's uh it's been it's been quite a year should we say it's been quite a year yeah it's been a, it's been an enjoyable year i mean we moan and groan about formula one 
that's only because they want it to be better. Um, and, you know, in a lot of occasions it can be better, but, you know, it ain't bad the way it is. And we see some very, very good races. And the cream rise to the top, as I say, and Lewis Hamilton's won seven world championship. He didn't do that by accident, um, for sure. You know, it's, it's just, it's just what it is. The best driver in the best car will always get to that point somehow. And the best drivers will get into the best cars for some reason. And that's just because everybody wants to win. So more of it next year, please. Yeah, that's what we're all hoping for. And you'll be able to follow it all with the race as well. So do head to the race's website, therace.com. And don't forget the hyphen, lots there from Gary and the rest of the team. Check out our other podcasts, including the Race F1 podcast and also our YouTube channel. Just search for the race. So thanks very much for listening. And we'll be back soon with more from Gary. (laughs) 